Hey, we are so glad you're here tonight. And if you're uh, coming along for the first time or you're back to church in a while, or you're just here tonight for Sammy's baptism, we are so excited to have you along with us. Uh, let me bring you up to speed of where we've been for the last couple of weeks because the way we like to do things here at Beyond is we like to kind of talk uh, in series which means we'll take one big idea and we'll attack it from a whole heap of different angles uh, over a number of weeks. We'll throw it all together, we'll give it a funky name and we'll call it a series. And the series that we're in at the moment is called DTR, Define the Relationship. And our aim, our aim with this series is we wanted to bring you some clarity around what it means to follow Jesus. Because there seems to be a whole lack of clarity around what that means, what does it look like, how do I follow Jesus? And so in part one of this series... Uh, we said that regardless of what you believe or how you behave, Jesus invites you to follow. Uh, in fact, we looked at one particular encounter and there's whole heaps of encounters if you open the biographies of Jesus' life where Jesus invites a lot of people who didn't believe what he believed and a lot of people who didn't behave the way he behaved to follow him. Uh, next week, we're going to wrap this entire series up and we're going to answer one really big question, which is why even bother following Jesus? Okay, it's great that Jesus invites me to follow, but why should I even bother following him in the first place? If you've got some friends that are asking this question, that's a great uh, week to invite them along. Uh, and the, la- the last, last week and this week, we're kind of looking at two misconceptions. I kind of want to debunk sort of two myths, two misconceptions around what it actually means and what it looks like to live in a relationship with Jesus. And last week, we kind of looked at what I think or what I would consider is maybe the primary objection to uh, people who, um, who aren't Christians or who would say, yeah, you know what, I wouldn't consider myself one of them, what I think was one of the primary objections to following Jesus. Uh, and that is that it's about a whole list of rules. It's about the way you behave, it's about what you do, and, and you don't have that through any fault of your own. We looked, talked about that last week, that that has been um, cultivated and that has been perpetuated mainly by Christians. And so last week we said that God isn't after you to behave a certain way. In fact, the way we framed it is this. We said God isn't after your perfection, but rather your heart's attention. God doesn't want your behavior, God doesn't want your perfection, but he wants something more, he wants the attention of your heart. And tonight, uh, what I want to do is I want to look at what I um, probably would wager to bet would be one of the biggest, one of the biggest misconceptions that are held, uh, that is held about a relationship with Jesus, and it's held by people uh, who are Christians. So if you are not a Christian tonight, I'm not speaking directly to you, he's got to get to the footy really quickly, hey, he's missed kickoff. Um, I am not going to speak directly to you if you're uh, not a follower of Jesus, but this is an opportunity for you to listen in on. And this is an opportunity for you to see what is one of the biggest misconceptions or maybe misunderstandings or slight misunderstandings that Christians have about a relationship with Jesus. And I want to tell you, before I I get to this misconception, what we're going to do is we're going to explain it, then I'm going to give you one big application so that you make sure you never make this this mistake, so you never make this uh, misconception uh, applicable in your life. But before we do, I want to tell you where this misconception comes from. Who's responsible for it and, and how do we get it in? And I'll be really honest that this misconception about a relationship with Jesus is the fault of people like me. People like me, men and women across the world uh, every week get up in front of communities and they talk about what it means to follow Jesus. They talk about God's love. They talk about forgiveness. And that is not a bad thing. In fact, we we think it's fantastic when when, uh, followers of Jesus gather together and show and, and demonstrate what it actually looks like to follow Jesus in this world. We think the church should be irresistible. We think that uh, there should be no reason that you wouldn't at least want to come and sit in. Maybe you don't agree, maybe you don't believe, but there should be no reason why the church is resistible. 
So why is it that people like me kind of create this misconception among Christians? Well, think about your life. When you go to a sporting event and you're sitting up in the grandstand and you're watching your team play, you know exactly who the athletes are. You know exactly who the referees are. And if you don't, someone's quick to point them out to you. When it comes to uh, maybe uh, concerts, when you go to a concert, you know who the main event is, right? Because you're sitting on stage and you're watching them. You see in the dance troupe, you listen to the stand-up comedian. You know, hey, we're here for that person. And when it comes to the movies, you know, you pay your money or you sit at home and you, and you, you are expecting the actors to bring you in on this storyline. And then it comes to church. And people like me and women and men like me get up and through no fault of, of yours or through no fault of our ours, we, we kind of take that thinking that we have out there and we translate it to here. And we think to ourselves, hey, if I want to be a legit Christian, I've got to know as much as they know. If, if, I was, if I was really to be legit, I'd need to know a whole heap about evangelism because I don't really know what to do. They're like the professional Christian, so I'll point everyone else to them and they'll have the answers, right? Or, or maybe one day, maybe one day if I went to uni or if I did a ministry degree or if I studied real hard and if I read a lot of books, maybe one day I would, I would have all the knowledge. And once I got all the knowledge, then, then all my questions would be answered and I would be able to answer everyone else's questions. But until that point in time, until that point in time, I just can't do it. And we do this, um, we do this uh, as well uh, inadvertently. And so what we say is in order to be a legit Christian, right? In order to be next level, in order to be rigidage, you have to have a lot of knowledge about God. If someone asks you a question, you need to have an answer. And if you can't answer the question, then you need to go to someone who has more knowledge. That's, you're not as legit if you don't have a whole heap of knowledge. And let's be honest, Christians, we unintentionally kind of cultivate this type of thinking, don't we, within ourselves? You know, it's all about knowledge. It's all about having a lot of knowledge. Because maybe you've heard people say something like, well, this Bible study just probably isn't really on my spiritual level. And I want to be in a Bible study that's on my spiritual level. It's not that you guys are not on my level, but I'm on a different level. And I'm afraid that if I kind of hang out with this group, I might backslide a little bit. You wouldn't want me to backslide, would you? And then maybe, maybe you've heard uh, something, maybe you've heard something uh, different. Maybe you've heard uh, that people just aren't pursuing God as hard as me. I'm just pursuing God in a different way to what, the way everyone else is pursuing God. I'm pursuing God so hard, but it seems like they're probably only like 80%. You know, they're still up there, they're still above average, but I'm just like 120. I'm going, I'm going all in, I'm going all in. My, uh, my personal favourite my personal favorite one uh, is this. I, I just want to go deep. I, I just want to go deep. And, and if you're, not, if you're uh, here tonight for the first time and you're not a Christian, you're sitting there and you're like, What? I want to go, what? I want to go deep? Like, what? Like, let me, let me tell you, like, Christians love to use this word. So I'm going to bring it up the screen. Christians love to use this word. And they love to use it when they talk about things like messages. That was so deep. So deep. When they talk about songs, oh, those lyrics are just so deep. When they talk about Bible studies or, or connect groups, oh, those people, they're so deep. They're not like my other connect group. They weren't deep. In fact, this might surprise you um, because for most of us, like, beyond is our home church, but when, when, we, when, uh, when, when we're out and we're talking to people and we uh, share, particularly in church circles, like the beyond our vision is to create a church that unchurched people love to attend, often one of the responses we get or one of the kind of criticisms is like, ooh, you don't like to go deep, do you? I like to keep it real shallow because you couldn't, you couldn't possibly talk about Jesus. You couldn't possibly talk about Jesus if you weren't, if you weren't going deep. And, and if you've ever thought that, maybe uh, if you're visiting for another church, I don't want to offend you because we love, we love all churches, but we just want to clarify something. 
When it comes to like following Jesus, a lack of clarity and using Big's words does not equal depth. If you know exactly what someone's told you, it's because they've been clear, not because they've been deep. And every time someone comes along to beyond, our aim is that you would know exactly what we're talking about and you would leave here knowing exactly how it could impact your life should you choose to apply it. That's not shallow, that's clear. You'd want your doctor to give you a clear diagnosis, not talking Latin about all the ligaments and tendons that join the body. You'd be like, that doesn't make sense. So our aim is to be crystal, crystal clear. Now, I understand that there are probably some Christians sitting there and you're kind of folding your arms and you're getting a bit annoyed and you're like, but Chris, at what point does it become about knowledge? Chris, at what point does it come about like knowing something about God because you've got to know something about God and you've got to have some information and come on, come on, Chris, like maybe you're kind of like thinking about like throwing something at me because you think I'm a heretic or something like that. Like, well, if that's you, like just let's just pause out, like we'll get in there. Because let's be honest, right? There is more information and we have more information than we've ever had about Jesus. You can go onto YouTube and you can watch some of the best communicators in the world. You don't have to come and listen to me. You can go and listen to whoever you want to listen to. You can go and read whatever you want to read. You can just go online and you can get the best commentaries from some of the greatest thinkers of our time. There is more knowledge about Jesus and about God than there has ever been in the history of the world. But all the data from the last census, from the last NCLS, which is the National Church Survey, all the data says that although there's more information than ever before about Jesus, that there are less people in church than ever before. In fact, if you look across churches Australia-wide, on an average Sunday, the average is 3% of new people in church. So how is it that we have more knowledge about God than ever before, yet less people engaging with God than ever before? Because I don't think that knowledge about God is the problem. I think that the real problem is that we've confused something that we as Christians have confused knowing about God with knowing God. And there's a big difference between the two. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to bring you in on a story, on an exchange that took place between Jesus and a religious leader called Simon and another woman. And I want to show you, and I just want you to observe the difference between someone who knew God and someone who knew about God. And then I want to give you that application so you never become that person who's just content to know about God. And we we jump into this story in uh, the historian and the medical doctor uh, Luke's account of Jesus' life. And so Luke went out and he interviewed a whole heap of people that uh, spent time with Jesus. He mainly interviewed one of Jesus' closest boys, Peter. And, And these stories just kept coming up. And one of the stories that kept coming up over and over and over and over and over again was this one particular story. And so we're going to jump into it tonight. And it starts this way. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Jesus had been teaching for a while and uh, crowds had been listening to him. And one of these, this particular Pharisee, his name's Simon. We'll find that out later. But just to let you know, his name is Simon the Pharisee. And so Simon invites Jesus to his house. Not as like a friendly dinner guest, but he wanted the opportunity to sit down and kind of hash some things out with Jesus. He wanted to press him on some issues that he didn't really agree with. But he never got that opportunity. And the reason he didn't is because of this. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, 
she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Luke doesn't even use this woman's name. And it's not because he didn't know her name. It's because he didn't need to, because everybody knew exactly who she was. This was a small town. This was a certain immoral woman that carried around a perfume in a bottle around her neck. There was only one type of woman that was classified immoral and carried a bottle of perfume around her neck in that day and age. I was a prostitute. And this prostitute walks in on this meeting with Jesus and his disciples and these religious Pharisees in Simon's home and everyone falls silent. And it says, then she knelt behind at his feet. This woman walks in and everyone's just eyes just go like real silent and just track her across the room. And she kneels behind Jesus' feet. And maybe you've got a mental picture in your mind that everyone's kind of sitting at the table and they've got their forks and knives and their cutlery and you're like, that's weird for her to sit like behind, like what's she doing? But remember, this is, a middle, this is 2,000 years ago in the Middle East. So they were all lying on the ground. There might have been a very small table or maybe like a special rug. But they were all lying on the ground. They all were, were propped up on their right arm and their feet were extended away from the food out behind them. And this woman walks in behind Jesus' feet and she kneels down weeping, uncontrollably crying behind Jesus' feet. We don't know what she was crying about. Perhaps she'd heard Jesus teaching on forgiveness. Perhaps she'd heard Jesus teaching about God's love for her. We we don't know what uh, she was told, but what we do know is what she did. It says her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And you're kind of like, what? But it's okay, I'll explain this in a minute. It'll all make sense, I promise. I'll bring this together, stay with me. Then, then it says, then uh, she kept on kissing his feet, uh, where are we going? And putting perfume on them. I promise I'll explain that part. But before I do, I want you to see the reaction of Simon the Pharisee to this. He's seeing this woman crying washing Jesus' feet in perfume, kissing his feet. And this is his reaction. When the Pharisee saw who, uh, who he had invited, uh, he said, to, what am I doing? Where am I reading from? I have copied and pasted the wrong thing. So we'll just go from the screen. Uh, when the Pharisee who, who had, he had invited saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. In the midst of this emotionally charged moment where there's a prostitute weeping at the feet of Jesus, Simon doesn't offer any mercy. Simon doesn't offer any support. Instead, he labels her that kind of woman. What a kind of woman. Does he know who she really is? That kind of person over there. Because ultimately, what Simon has done and what we're about to discover is Simon had substituted knowing God with knowing about God. He was content to know all the rules, to know exactly what he should do. And so what that enabled him to do, he felt, was to look down his nose at people that didn't fit into the box that he wanted to box them in. And we know this because he goes a step further. In this very next phrase that comes out of his mouth, he just doesn't label her that kind, but he says, she's a sinner. He looks down his nose at her and he goes, she shouldn't be here. She's not one, she's not welcome amongst us. We know what kind of person she is. She's a sinner. 
And if your belief about God allows you to mistreat, then you need to know that you are guilty of misbelieving as well as misbehaving. Because Jesus, who we believe was God in a body, the Son of God, and Jesus invited people who didn't believe what he believed and didn't behave the way he behaved to follow him all the time. Regardless of their past, Jesus didn't mistreat them, but Jesus actually wanted to know their story. And Simon the Pharisee just completely glazes over this woman's story and he goes straight to her actions and he labels her a sinner. And in case you want to know, how would Jesus label this woman? Well, we don't actually know in this text, but what we find out, if you start to read the New Testament, if you start to see that three, uh, a couple of years later, maybe two or three years later, Jesus died on a cross, you know what Jesus would label her. Jesus would say, regardless of what this woman believes and regardless of how she behaves, she is worth dying for. And Jesus puts that label on everyone. You are worth dying for. And I know you might not believe in Jesus and you're not sure about it and you're like, well, I don't, I don't know if I want that label. What's, I'm sorry, it's too late. Like, <laughs> I wish I could change it, but Jesus has already died. He's already said that he believes that you are worth dying for, regardless of whether you want to follow him or not. He believes that you're worth dying for. And then what happens next is Jesus turns to the woman. And as he's turning to the woman, he says to Simon, he says, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me anything to wash uh, from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now that kind of weird part at the start is starting to make sense, right? Because there was a code that Simon was supposed to follow when he invited Jesus over, and Simon knew about this code, but he didn't do it. And then he goes on, he said, you didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the moment this woman has walked in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. And he says, Simon, on top of all that, you neglected the courtesy of olive oil on my head. But she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, you know all about the rules. You know all about the cultures. You know all about God. And you know all these Old Testament scriptures so well. And then I'm here. God is here in your house and you haven't done anything that you know about. But this woman who knows nothing about God has gone above and beyond she actually knows God. And then Jesus did something that would have offended Simon so badly. Jesus takes it to another level. He turns back to this woman and he eyeballs her and he says, your sins are forgiven. Think about that. If you've been coming to church and you would consider yourself a Christian, just think about that. At the end of this encounter, and there was someone who was a professional God-knower, someone who studied the Scriptures all day, every day, and a prostitute. And at the end of that encounter, the woman who'd heard Jesus' teaching, we don't even know how, walks away with her sins forgiven. And Simon the Pharisee is left standing there, fuming. And as we wrap this part three up, I want to ask you a question. And the question I want to ask you is this, who are the people that have shaped your faith journey the most? When this woman, no longer a prostitute, when this woman looked back on her life, 
Who do you think she was going to answer shaped her faith journey? Simon, who mistreated her, or Jesus, who forgave her? And when, when you think of the people who have shaped your faith journey or shaped your, your life, if you, if you don't believe in the whole faith thing, who have been a part of your journey, what, what faces come to mind? What names spring to mind? Maybe for you, maybe you're like, well, I, I never really had anyone. Who do you wish you had? What kind of person do you wish you had as part of your faith journey? Because what I want to do is, is for those of us who are Christians, if you're not a Christian, this is totally optional for you, but if you're a Christian, I want to give you one big application. It's super simple. It's super easy. And this application, when I explain it, you'll see why this will help you so that you never, ever have to become like Simon the Pharisee. But you are always like the woman who just wants to know Jesus and is willing to break social boundaries to, to show people the love of God. And the question is, uh, the, the challenge is this. I want you to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. See, the people that come to your mind in your life who have shaped your journey, they had a lot of people they could have invested in, but they chose to invest in you. They had a, a lot of uh, chances, are they, they didn't, everyone has a limited amount of time, a limited amount of hours in the day, but these people chose to invest that time into you. Everyone has a limited amount of emotional uh, ability they can pour into people, but this person chose to invest it into you. So that now when you ask who shapes my faith journey, their name springs to mind. And what I want for you is I want your name to spring to mind, not for everyone, but for one person. I want your name, I want your face to be the face that springs to mind. Just like Jesus was the face that sprung to mind for this woman, I want your face to be the name that springs to mind. So here, here's, what, here's what I want to challenge you to do. For the next 30 days, 30 days, so until the 1st of November, I want to challenge you to just pray for one of your friends that doesn't know Jesus. 30 days, pick one, go hard. Just pray for them. That's pretty easy. You don't even have to leave your bedroom. No one even has to know you're doing it. And then what I want you to do is, I just want you to leverage the relationship that you already have to love them, not to preach at them, not to tell them about God, but just to love them. Invest in them relationally. And maybe after 30 days, you'll have had an opportunity to share Jesus with them. Maybe you won't. But you know what will have changed? Is your perspective. Because now you'll begin to understand. When you start praying for someone to know Jesus, all of a sudden your perspective changes. All of a sudden, you, you don't want them to memorize Genesis through Revelation. I mean, if you want to memorize the books of the Bible, go for gold. I can't really see the practical side of that because you can just get it on your phone. But if that's your jam, like, you go for gold. You be a Bible champion. Like, I hope, I hope you absolutely kill it. But when you start to pray for someone that they would come to know Jesus, all of a sudden, you're not worried about all the information they can take in, but you're worried about them moving into a relationship. It changes from knowledge to a relationship. And that's what we've been talking about for this whole week. We want to define a relationship, not a body of knowledge. And so as we leave tonight, I understand that there's, there's some, there'll, there'll be some pushback where people are like, no, I've heard that before, I'm not going to do that. That's like kind of difficult, it's kind of like... And the reason it's difficult, right, is because it's crystal clear. Isn't it like, there's, like, you know exactly what to do. I should pick a person who's not a follower of Jesus and I should pray for them. 
Like, I really shouldn't have to be told that, but okay, like, I'll do that now. Like, there's someone I'm going to pray for. And it's, it's uncomfortable, isn't it? Because you can't really, like, worm your way out of that one. Because, come on, let's be honest, and I'm in this boat too. It's so much comfortable to know about how to follow Jesus as opposed to actually follow Jesus for those of us who follow Jesus, right? It's so much easier, it's so much more comfortable to know, well, I know what I should do and I know how I should have responded, but it's so much more difficult to actually do that. And so to kind of give us a push, because I, I want to get you across the line, I want you to be that person that people think of. I want you to be that face that comes to their mind. I want to show you just what it could look like and what hangs in the balance. Because here's the truth, here's the truth. You cannot change, uh, you can't help everyone. You cannot help your 30 friends. No one has the time to invest relationally into 30 people. You can't help everyone. You can't help every single person that exists. That's not your job. But you can help someone. You can't make a difference in everyone's life. But you can make a difference in one person's life. And as we leave, I've said this before, but I want to say it again, because it always helps to repeat it. It's so, so often for us, we kind of think to ourselves, oh, how could I have knowledge about God? How could people look at me? How could people see me? But I want to challenge you with this, that your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. Your greatest contribution may be praying for someone and them coming to know Jesus and that person goes and plants churches all over the world. Your greatest contribution may be that the fact that you chose to invest time that you chose to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone and we don't want to be a community that is just content to know about God we want to be a community where people actually get to know Jesus where people's lives are changed like Sammy where people walk in and say hey you know what I didn't know about this whole church thing but when I came here I actually got to know Jesus not just know about him and it changed my life and we have the opportunity to do that. So for the next 30 days, I'd love to challenge you to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And come back next week as we answer the question, why bother following Jesus anyway? I'd love to pray for you. Lord, we just thank you so much for the words of Luke. Lord, we thank you for um, the fact that he, he documented this encounter. Sometimes it can be difficult, really, really difficult because we know what we should do. We know a lot about God, but sometimes we miss out on actually pointing people to Jesus. And so, Lord, I just pray tonight for anyone who's here who, who maybe thought that Christianity was all about knowing about God. I pray that, that you would maybe encourage them just to, just to hang on for another week. Just to, just to hang around for a little bit longer, to, to move past that, to see, well, maybe there's something more. Maybe, maybe it's got more to do with a relationship. And Lord, for those of us, it's so easy to get swept up into church talk. It's so easy to get caught up in our own bubble where we say things like deep and, and oh, I don't want to backslide and I need to get to that next level, Lord. But at the end of the day, Lord, as we said in Sammy's baptism, Lord, you, you called us to actually lead people to get to know you. You called us to live lives that point to you and not just live lives that point to you, but teach other people about you. And so, Lord, I pray that we would not be a community that know about God, but we would be a community that know God and we point people to know Jesus and God as well.
We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.